I want to do. It's, I know it's a little different, um, but I, I would like to do this because back in the day when the, when the priest and, the, and pastors would preach the word of God and they would read the word of God, uh, one of the things in honor and reverence of the word of God, which I think sometimes we don't give it as much honor as we should, they would actually stand in the reading of God's word. So will you stand? And I would like to read this together. It's actually going to be up on the screen. We can read it together on the screen. Uh, I'll read it out of my Bible. You can read it out of your Bible. Uh, but we're going to read in, in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36, and we're going to read this story together. It says this. You, we can actually all read it, because that's why this is on here. All right, here we go. So it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them. He went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, yeah, we're trailing here a little bit, okay? All right. If this man were a prophet, he would have who and what this woman is that's touching him, for she is. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them. There we go. All right. Verse 45. Keep going. Therefore, I tell you, her sins. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say, who is this? Now, come on, let's say this last word with gusto. Your faith has go. All right, Father, we love you. God, I pray, Lord, that, that you would use these 14 verses to radically change our lives from the inside out. God, I pray that you would speak and that your word would go forth. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do what none of us can, that you seek and save those who are lost. God, and I pray that you would bring revelation to this word that only you can do. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, hey, high five two people before you sit down and say, get ready. Let's do it. 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 All right, so let's set, up the, let's, let's set up the story here real quick. So we got three characters in the story, three main characters in this story. We got Jesus, of course. Jesus is in there, red letters. Jesus is here. 
We got uh, the Pharisee. His name is Simon. Let me real quick just set the story straight. This is not Simon the disciple. This is not, this is not any other Simon. This is Simon the Pharisee, the pastor, the preacher. This is Simon the man of God, Simon. And then there is the prostitute, the woman, the woman of the city. It says that she was a woman of the city. That does not mean she was the mayor. Let me just let you know that. She was not the woman of the city. She was a woman of the city who was a sinner, and we know that she was, she was a prostitute. So those are the three characters that we have playing in this, in this story. Now, there is a lot of differences in between these two main characters, the prostitute and the Pharisee. If I was to retitle this sermon, I would, I would probably title it, What We Can Learn from a Prostitute. It's probably what I'm going to... That's, I wanted to go with that one, but I thought, you know what, forgiven and free was probably a little better. Um, but uh, the, other th- the other title was, we're a lot more like a prostitute than we think. But then I didn't go with that one either. So we're going with forgiven and free. But this is what we're going to find out. In just a minute, we're going to see that, that this prostitute and this Pharisee have very differing things, and we're going to see that in this passage. They're very different in a lot of ways, but the truth is they're actually more similar than you know. And so I want to give you real quick three things that they are, that that they both have in common. The Pharisee, the pastor, the preacher, the man of God has three things very in common with the prostitute, and you and I are going to put ourselves into one of these two categories. This is the first thing. Write this down. They both owed. They both owed. Now, you go and you read in this passage, it says that in, in verse, let's see if I can find it. In verse 41, it says, a certain money lender had, no, had two debtors. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. But the thing is, they both owed. A denarii back in those days was about a day's worth of wages. So you can imagine this. You've got a banker who is a lender of money. He lends one person and one person owes him. Let's say if they made about $50,000 a year, then one person owed the banker roughly a, a year and a half, a year and two-thirds worth of, of wages, which is about $83,000. So you got one guy who owes the banker $83,000. You got another person who owes the banker about $8,300, about two months worth of, of, of debt. But the truth is, is that they both owed. Everyone owes. And if there's anything that we've got to established in this message first and foremost is that everyone owes. Everyone owes. I'm going to show you. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Now read this with me. It says this. It says, none is righteous. No, not. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, I highlighted in here all the things that were really important. None, not one, not one, not one, all, no one, not even one. So let me ask real quick. We'll do a really quick pop quiz. How many people are seeking God? No one. How many are good? None. God put the, and I love at the end, like he does like the comma, like no one does good, comma, not even one, as if he didn't say not enough of no one. 
At the end, he adds not even one, just because I believe we all in here would like to argue that we're the one. Right? Oh, I know you won't say that, but you're the one. You're not included in this. But Paul says, no, not even one seeks God. Now, Romans 3.23, you fast forward just a couple more verses, and it says, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So let me ask this question. So how many, apart from Christ, are righteous? How many? None. Come on, let's get this. We got to get this right first. How many, apart from Christ, are righteous? None. None. Okay. How many have fallen short from the glory of God? All. Okay. We got that? Okay. Good. Now we can move on. So they both owed. Both of them owed. Number two, they both couldn't pay. They both couldn't pay. The prostitute couldn't pay. The Pharisee couldn't pay. They both had debt. Both couldn't pay. Look at Luke 7.42. Look at what it says. At the beginning of Luke 7.42, it says this. It says, when they could not pay. So what it's saying is the one who had 50 didn't have 49 and was missing one. Wasn't that he had 20 and he was missing 30? Wasn't that he even had five? It was that he had nothing. Every person is bankrupt and you can't offer anything for your sins. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says this. Can we throw that up? All, real quick, let's do this. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted Garments, mmm, delicious, it's awesome. We love that, huh? All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So let's, let's stop here and let's think about this. What are righteous deeds? Now, we're not talking about good deeds. We're not talking about like helping the elderly, you know, across the street or, you know, cleaning up your room. We're not talking about good deeds, good stuff that you do. We're talking about righteous stuff that you do. What is righteous stuff that you and I do? Tithe. What else? Go to church. It's a good, good righteous thing. Pray. Pray. Serve. Read the word. All of these are good and righteous things. And how Isaiah describes all of our righteousness is he says it's like a tampon. And not a clean one. I mean, we shoot it straight around here, okay? So, so your prayer, your reading of the word, you're coming to church today in God's eyes is like a tampon. Now, let me, let me set this straight here because you got to listen on this. Does God want you to do those things? Absolutely. But when you compare this is what we're talking about here. When you compare your righteousness compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, it doesn't even compare. You can throw it in the trash. That's what he's saying. He's not saying don't do any of that stuff. He's just saying when you try to measure your goodness up to the greatness of God, you aren't even in the game. 
You and I, we're, we're nowhere in the game. It's, it's, we, we talked about this last week. It's Chuck E. Cheese tickets. It's what it is. You can take those Chuck. Okay, we went yesterday and played at Dave and Buster's in Houston, had a blast. And Lindsay got like, Lindsay put a coin in and like 500 tickets came out. And that's no lie. She like won the jackpot. It's 500. It's like gambling. We don't gamble. Okay, so we, but it was like it. It felt very addicting, which I can know why it could be addicting. Because, and, and so, and so these tickets are pouring out and she's excited. And we have no kids. It's just me and her and Blake and Chantel. This was Chuck E. Cheese for adults. And there's tickets that are pouring out, and she is just elated and excited, and it's awesome. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, it's just Chuck E. Cheese tickets. Like, what are we buying here? The hot lips? We buying the, what are we buying here? Okay, so we spent all this money. We got a basketball and a couple little things for the boys. And that was it. And I said last week that if you took those same tickets, though, and it barely really buys anything there, even though they take all your money, they're really good at it. But if you go and you take those tickets and you go try to buy a Corvette, you're going in prison. <laughs> okay, you go to any dealership and go, I, would, I got, I got 37,000 tickets. What can that get me? That can get you a direct trip to jail. That's what that can get you. And that is what we do. That is what we do with our righteous deeds. We come to Jesus and go, Jesus, I went to church for 20 weeks straight. What does that get me? Nothing. Get you nothing. It gets you a good boy. But if we're, if we're doing all of these things because we think we can pay for something, let me just let you know, it's null and void. It don't work. So they both had a debt. They both couldn't pay. Neither one of them. Pharisee couldn't pay. The, the, the prostitute couldn't pay. They're worth nothing. And, and let me say this. Lindsay had a whole lot more tickets than I did, which made her feel really good. But both of our tickets still don't win anything. Are y'all with me here? She feels good about her tickets. I feel like I'm a loser because I, I didn't hit the jackpot. And so we'll get into this in a minute because I'm going to show you how this plays out in real life. Number three, write this down. So they both, couldn't, they both owed Number two, they both could not pay. Number three, they both were fully, freely, and forever forgiven. They both were fully, freely, and forever forgiven. Luke 7, verse 42, it says this. When they could not pay, watch what it says. He canceled the debt, now get this, of both. Now we gotta, we're, you're, gonna, you're gonna hear this story in a whole new way today, I'm telling you, because and God has shown me so much in this. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Did either one of them pay anything? Answer? No. no. Now here's the, here's the wild thing. What makes this so generous is that anytime somebody forgives a debt, they themselves incur the debt. Let me show you how this works. So if, if, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I need some money, you know, I need whatever, $1,000. I go, okay, great. I'll tell you what, I'll give you $1,000 and then you can just start paying me back. And they go, okay, good. Well, I give them the $1,000 and they get to a place where they can't pay it back. And if I go, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't, you don't have to pay me back. 
Who paid for it? Somebody had to pay for it. Are y'all with me here? When we think forgiveness, like God just forgives us, we think like it just went away. No, somebody paid for it. And anytime you forgive a debt, somebody paid for it. And in this story, Jesus pays for it. And in our story, Jesus pays for it. The debt doesn't go away. It still has to be paid. But the forgiveness occurs because Jesus forgives them freely. Now, I'm going to say a statement that probably some of you will not like, but I want to say it anyways. Jesus forgives more freely than we in the church like to admit. And let me put it this way. Jesus forgives more freely than we in the church like to forgive. Because we want people to pay for what they've done. You can ask your spouse. They're the first one that usually we make them pay. It's, it's true. It, but yet in this story, the, 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 the parable that Jesus uses, both of the people that had the debt were both freely, fully, and forever forgiven. So those are the similarities. Let's talk about the differences though. Now, here's the truth. Jesus set the amounts, didn't he? 50 and 500. Who set those amounts? Jesus set the amounts. Jesus set those amounts. It's his story. He set whatever the amounts he wanted to set. He set it at 50 and he set it at 500. Now, let me show you where this is going to become an eye-opener. See, Jesus sets these amounts. So if, let's just say, if 50 is, is the best, 50 is you prayed, you go to church, you know, you go and read your Bible often, you tithe, you do all those things. Let's say 50 is the best. And let's say 500 is the worst. Grotesque. It is prostitution, and, and you've busted a couple caps, and you've abused a lot of people, and you've got a shady past. And let's say 500 is the worst. Here's the question. Don't answer it out loud. Here's the question. Where do you rank yourself? Where do you rank yourself? Now, most of us probably in here would go, well, okay, I'm not a 50, you know, there's still some stuff that are going on, but I'm not a 500, because I know a lot more people who are a lot worse than me, but then, wait, wait, hold on, I know a lot more people who are a lot better than me, so I'm probably like 100, 150, you've got your number, you thought about it when I said it, you know what your number is. Now, here's the shocking news, Okay. You're all 500. So take whatever number you just did and throw it out the door and you're a 500. We are all 500s. All of us. Billy Graham was on the Tonight Show with um, Johnny Carson. That was before Jimmy Fallon. Um, That was before Jay Leno. So Jimmy, I'm trying to help this new generation, okay? So... Billy Graham was on The Tonight Show, and, 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 and Johnny Carson asked Billy Graham, hey, can I ask you a personal question? Billy Graham said, sure. Have you ever broken the Ten Commandments? And you know what Billy Graham's answer was? All of them. And you know what Jim, Johnny Carson's responsible reaction was? Billy Graham's broken all the Ten Commandments. And Billy Graham tells him this. The Bible says if you've, if you've disobeyed one, you've broken them all. So I've broken all of them. I'm a 500. 
We're all 500s. Now, here's the question, though. If we're all 500s, then why did Jesus set the amounts? Why did he set a 50 and why did he set a 500? Why didn't he just say, you're all losers? I mean, that would have been a lot easier, you know? You all got a lot of debt and I paid it all. He doesn't. He sets a 50 and he sets a 500. Why does he do that? Let's look, okay? Let's look. Luke chapter 7, verse 39 through 40. Everybody with me so far? Okay, good. So verse 39 through 40. This is what he says. Now watch this. I find this a bit comical. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, meaning Jesus, saw this, what did he see? He saw the woman doing all this act, washing her feet with, washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and putting ointment and kissing his feet. I mean, when he saw that, watch this, when he saw this, he said, now I want you to make this note. He said to himself. Okay, underline that. This is key. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now watch this. And Jesus answering. Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. The guy didn't ask Jesus the question. He thought it. If Jesus knew who this girl was, she is a floozy. And Jesus, Jesus goes, hey, Simon, I got something to say to you. You're like, I didn't ask a question. He's like, oh, yeah, you did. Now watch what's going to happen. And Jesus answered to him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the story that proceeds is the story of the two debtors. And this story, now listen to me, this story that Jesus tells is the answer to his question that he asked himself. What was the question he asked himself? Why would Jesus touch an unclean woman? Why would Jesus let an unclean woman touch him? If he knew, if he was a prophet, and I find that yet funny, if he was a prophet, and then the prophet answers a question that he didn't ask. As soon as he would do that, I'd be like, he's a prophet, never mind, okay. <laughs> Answered, got, got that one. If he's a prophet, he would know, hey, I'm gonna answer your question. And so what ends up happening is he answers this question by sharing the parable of the moneylender and the two debtors. Now, here's the thing that we've got to get. We interpret that some people owe more than others and some people owe less than others. And I've always, I'll be honest with you, I came, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with very loving parents. I grew up with incredible loving grandparents. I, I, I mean, I had the best family growing up, and I'm so appreciative of that. And, and the, the greatest struggle that I've ever struggled with when I read this story is, man, I can never love like that woman because I was never forgiven like that woman. I mean, like, I was saved at an early age. I mean, God, what did God deliver me of? Like, ice cream? <laughs> like, I don't have, like, a drug pass. Like, I saved myself until I got married. I, I've never done drugs. The only drugs I've ever done was when my mom drugged me to church. That's all. I, I never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted alcohol and still haven't. And so I, I, I wondered, like, how can I love God when I don't, like, what did he forgive me of? Like, he didn't, there wasn't that much, like, I understand, like, that girl, he, she, yeah, she needed a lot, and she got forgave much, and so she loves God so much because God has done so much in her life. And for me, though, 
Like he hasn't, I mean, yes, he saved me and all that, but I, I wasn't, I was a good guy. You with me here? And for people who have had the other extreme where they have just lived a licentious lifestyle and lived it up, their thing that they struggle with is, I can never love God that much because I'm never as good as such and such was. And so that's the comparison that, that they fight. And let me say this. This passage that we read of this parable of the debtor, of the two debtors, this passage doesn't teach us that there are some who are worse than others. The 50 and 500 is not so Jesus can tell us there's people that are worse than others. Do you know what this passage teaches us? It teaches us that there are some who think they're better than others. The reason Jesus set the amounts to 50 and 500 is because that's what Simon was thinking. Simon was thinking, I'm 50 and she's 500. And that's why Jesus gave us the number He couldn't believe that Jesus was allowing a 500 to touch him. He couldn't believe that there was a woman that was there. And he couldn't believe that he, the reason that he couldn't express that kind of love was because of the fact that he had only been forgiven 50. And when he's only been forgiven 50, you you only love at a 50 level. But grace, you might want to write this down. Because we're talking about grace, and I love this story because it's grace to the sinner and it's grace to the saint. And grace is most often hindered, not by our unrighteous badness, but by our self-righteous goodness. Grace is most often hindered in our lives, not by our unrighteous badness, but our self-righteous goodness. We block the love of God because we think we're pretty good people. And God didn't have to do much for us. And Jesus is telling this Pharisee, I find this to be yet comical again, that Jesus tells this Pharisee, you could learn something from this prostitute. Now think about this. This pastor, this Pharisee, his whole life for the most part has been everybody idolizing him. Everybody has looked up to him. Everybody has been told you need to be like him. And he has told everybody they need to be like him. And here is Jesus shows up on the scene and flips the scripts and says, you need to be like her. And he's like, say what? You could learn from her. And he goes, no, people learn from me. And he's like, Mm-mm. no, you're going to learn from her. Because there's two lies that Satan tells us all the time. Write these two lies down. First lie, you're better than others. You're better than others. You're better than others. Second lie, what is it? You're worse than others. It has been proven statistically that Facebook and Instagram have led more people to depression than anything else. And I love it. I love both of those. I'm on them all the time. But can you see how these two lies play as you scroll because all you're doing through, as you're scrolling is you're looking at people and what are you doing? Comparing. You're comparing. You're constantly comparing your life to somebody else's. And if you had a terrible day or a terrible week or whatever and somebody is having a great week, you think 
man, I am terrible. And then you got something where other people are having struggles and pain and hurt, and it's great in your life. You think, I'm better. And it's this constant thing that we, we go through. I, when, I, and I'll, I'll share from my own personal, when, when we've walked through the stuff that we've walked through with Joel, it's, Lindsay and I have, have had many discussions where it's hard for us to get on Facebook and see how awesome people's lives are when our life has been so miserable at times. And do you want to know, this is, this is where my heart has gone, and I've had to repent of this so many times. I think in the back of my mind, God, I love you. I serve you. I've given my life for you. And my son is going through what he's going through, and these people hate you. They love themselves. They do everything, and their children are healthy. I don't deserve this. I'm one of the good guys. And God has punched me in the gut so many times to remind me, do you honestly think that this whole plan is based off of you? Do you honestly think that Jennings won't be reached if you're not there? Brother, you will die one day, you will go in the ground, and my plan will continue. And God will continue to do what he does with us or without us, and he desires to use us. But I'm telling you, there's such a, a, a comparison thing that our culture has bought into and we have bought into. And we look at people who look better and we feel worse. We put, look at people who look worse and we feel better. And it's a constant comparison game and we believe these lies. It's like a ping pong game and we bounce back and forth between I feel great, I feel terrible. I feel great, I feel terrible. Anybody been in that game? Preaching a lot better than you're telling me, but that's okay. The whole Bible is summed up in two commands. Love God with all your heart. We did this in the greatest series. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and what's the next one? Love your what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me show you how this plays out. Because when you buy into this comparison and these two lies, this, this affects everything. Let me show you. Because if you feel like you haven't been forgiven much, you can't love God much. And if you feel like you're better than others, you can't love others. And if you feel like you hate yourself, love your neighbors as yourself, and you feel like you hate yourself all the time, guess what? You can't love people. And so when we buy into these lies back and forth, we, we, we can't do the two things that God's called us to do. Now, here's the big question that I know you're asking, and it's the question that I ask all the time. How can you not have shame when you have a shameful past? I'm going to tell you why. Notice in Luke chapter 7, notice in verse 38, it says this. It says, when a woman, or verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, watch this in verse 38. And she was standing behind him, at his feet. Question. Why is she standing behind him? One word. Shame. She's got a shameful past. 
Now, let me tell you what I think this story actually plays out. I honestly think that she had an encounter with Jesus before this, this, this moment because she came into the house with all of her stuff ready to love Jesus and, and, and thank him for what he's done. I think she had already encountered Jesus at some other point and he had forgiven her sin and she was now entering into the house to show her appreciation for him. Because if you notice, if you go and you read down in the next thing, in verse... 44, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Actually, let me, let me turn that again. 48, there we go. <clears throat> he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This was a woman who, had, who was waiting there for him, but she was behind him because of the past that she had. He had already forgiven that. I don't think he forgave her at this point. I think he had already forgiven her. But I think she was coming to show her appreciation for his forgiveness. And what I think happened is that as she, he was talking, what came back on her again? Shame. Now let me tell you why this is good news and, and also this is hard news for us. is because for every person here that has been saved and that knows Jesus, you have fallen. You've blown it, haven't you? And Satan wants you to believe that if you've fallen after you've saved, you can never reach God's destiny for your life. But let me tell you this. Satan wants you to believe that all of your sins are paid before you got, well, at the moment you got saved, all of your past sins were paid. And that every sin after you've gotten saved, you've got to work that one out. Psalms 103 says this. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Corey Tim Boone, who, who was vital in hiding Jews during the Germany uh, Hitler Nazi regime when he was killing Jews, slaughtering them. Corey Tim Boone and her family took in Jews. And this is what she said. Oh, this is so good. She said, God takes our sins, the past, the present, and what? The future. And watch this. And he dumps them in the sea, and he puts a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Come on, that's some good stuff. Let me show you how this has played out in real life. There's a story of a middle-aged woman who needed help, and so she goes to her pastor. And her pastor says, hey, how, how can I help you? And she says, pastor, you know, I had an abortion a number of years ago. And the pastor says, yes, I know that. She says, well, I, I need to talk to you about the man I've, I've since met. She says, okay. She said, well, I, I met a man a while back. We started dating, and I thought to myself, I need him to tell him about my abortion. She said, but I didn't. So we continued to date, and we got engaged. And then I thought, I really need to tell him about the abortion. But I just couldn't. Then we got married, and I thought, I really need to tell him about this abortion. But I just couldn't. So I needed to talk to somebody, Pastor, and, and you're it. The pastor replied to her, you know, you don't have to live this way. We can ask God to forgive you and wash you clean. And so they did a service of confession and prayer and repentance. And when they were finished, she said to him, now I think I have the courage to tell my new husband about my abortion. Thanks, Pastor. And the pastor replied, what abortion? 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Your past has been washed, and Jesus has the shameful past. You no longer have a shameful past, because you know what? Jesus has the shameful past. Jesus took it. He took your shame on the cross. And when Jesus was on the cross, he knew you were going to sin before you got saved, and he knew you were going to sin after you got saved. God doesn't regret saving you. Some of you need to hear that. God doesn't regret saving you. When Jesus did what he did on the cross and then he rose again three days later, which we will celebrate next week, what he said is the altar is closed. No more, no more lambs being slaughtered. No more. Are you tracking with me? You have nothing to give to pay for your sins. Nothing. God doesn't take it. It's invalid. It doesn't work. The only thing that you can take is the forgiveness of Jesus, understanding that he bore your sins and he bore your shame on the cross. That's what you can receive. We confess and we repent. Now listen, the prostitute owned her sin. She knew what she had did, but she came to him knowing that she was freely forgiven. And that's why at the end of the story, Jesus reminds her yet again, and I'm here to remind you yet again, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Go in peace. So here's the question that I've got to ask. Have you seen yourself as a 50? Have you seen yourself as a 500? Where do you see yourself in this process? Listen to me. We're talking about grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. We, we shouldn't have it, but God gives it. It's too good to be true, but it is true. And grace is not for your good days. It's for your bad ones. Come on, you don't need grace on your good days, right? No, because you're good. I'm good. We don't need grace on good days. We need the grace of God on the bad days. And listen to me, for everybody in here that is a Pharisee, just like I, you've given your heart to the Lord, you love the Lord, but you have come to a place where you think that you deserve it and that you earned it. And I'm here to remind you, you did not. And it is the grace of God, yet again, that is calling you and compelling you to know that you need grace even on your worst days. Because the truth is, you have bad days too. You struggle too. You still mess up too. And Jesus knew that already. God doesn't demand that you get clean before you come to Jesus. Grace is this. Grace is this idea that, think about this for a minute. Think about if you, if you, got, if y'all, if you left here and you got into a terrible wreck and you broke your arm, you broke your leg. I mean, you just beat up. The ambulance gets there. They get you out of the car. You're like, oh, you're hurting. And the ambulance is like, oh, we need you to get into the ambulance. You get into the ambulance, and before the ambulance takes off, you tell, you tell the ambulance guy, hey, guy, can we, uh, can we go by my house? <laughs> Say what? Can, listen, can we go by my house? I'd like to take a shower <laughs> and put on some better clothes. What would the ambulance driver go? Are, are you serious? Now let me ask you, let me, hold on. Listen to me on this one. This is what we do to Jesus in church. 
How crazy is it for us to say, I can't go to church because I've got to get my life cleaned up and then I'll come to church. And Jesus is going, what? (laughs) Church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. And the fact that you hurt... The fact that your marriage is jacked up, Jesus knows that. So the fact that you come and say, like, I've been a terrible husband this week. Guess what? There's grace there. Guess what Jesus says? Forgiven. See, because grace doesn't just change your destiny. Grace isn't just about getting you to heaven. Grace is not just about your destiny. It's about changing your identity. So no longer was this woman known as a prostitute. She was now a daughter of the king. So guess what? She did not go back into prostitution going, oh, he just forgives me. No. She comes to Jesus and says, what can I do? She's crying and pouring her hair out. And people who have experienced the grace of God don't run back to sin. They run to Jesus. And they thank Jesus for all that he's done. Grace is the capacity that Jesus has to clean things up. Jesus cleans things up far greater than we have the capacity to mess things up. He does. And so I want to do this because I want to end this way. Because I know in this room there are those of you that have been running from God. You are like the prostitute. You've done your own thing. And the grace of God is here to say, come home. I'm here to forgive you. But I would probably, a majority of you in here know Jesus, but you have bought into the 50 lie. And you have, you have demeaned other people. You have looked down on other people. You've compared yourself to other people. But the truth is there's days you compare yourself to, uh, to people that are better than you and you feel terrible. And I, I can guarantee you there's people in here that feel shame upon shame. And you love Jesus. But you walk in here and you still feel shame for some of the things that you've done. And I, I, man, I I so want you to walk out of here not only fully, freely, and forever forgiven, but I want you to walk out of here free. I want to see you walk out of here free. It's awesome that you're forgiven, but some of you aren't free. Yes. So I want to do this. I want us to bow our heads all across this room, and I want to give two responses. First one is for those that, that you, and you look at this story, you maybe see the prostitute. Now, maybe you haven't done what the prostitute has done, but for the most part, your life has been all about you. It's been all about you and what you want and your pleasures, and, 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 and you need the grace of God, and you recognize that Jesus is calling you home today, and that Jesus desires to give you a new heart, a new start. He wants to give you a new identity. And if that's you, and you have never put your trust and your faith in Christ. The Bible says that it is, we are saved by grace through faith. That's something that Jesus does in us. It's nothing that we do, but it's all that Jesus has done on the cross. And if that's you, and you want to give your heart to the Lord today, I want you all across this room, nobody looking, but all across this room, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. And we want to, we want to celebrate with you. We want to see you come. Come on. There we go. Awesome. I see your hand. 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 Praise God. Anybody else? Come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now you can put your hand down. 
Now I wanna speak to those in here. You know you're saved. You have assurance of that. You love God. You have loved God for a long time. And maybe for you, it's been, you have, you have, you have relied so much on your goodness that you have really forgot about the grace and forgiveness of God in your life because you thought you were a pretty good person. Or maybe there's shame from a, from, from a past thing, or maybe there's some shame even now. Maybe you love Jesus, but you're still addicted to porn. Maybe you love Jesus, but your marriage is just still a wreck. Maybe, maybe, maybe you desire to serve God, but there's just this inner struggle in you, like, God, I don't think you can really love me because I, I, I put on this mask at church like everything's okay, but it's really not, and there's, there's shame, and you're in bondage to it, and God desires for you to set, be set free today, and if that's you, all across this room, I want you to throw your hands up so I can see them. Come on, all across this room, wow. Hands going up all over the place.